This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 85, Comic Reviews for June 5th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 85. It's the comic reviews for the week of June 5th episode. Uh, I am your host, Adam Chapman, and thanks once again for joining me for our reviews episode. Uh, unfortunately, this episode is once again falling into my horrible trend of being late for getting episodes up. Um, just the way things kind of worked out. Uh, I usually like getting things up on Sundays. didn't quite work out. Uh, and then suddenly Monday was here and gone, and still wasn't up and then today I was just trying to read as much as I possibly could to get the damn episode up because I don't like to get the reviews episode up late uh, and I was already two days late and I especially wanted to make sure that I was still able to release the new Talking Hero Clicks episode on its intended date which is June 12th. I'm not sure what time of day that episode will end up going up because I don't usually like the uh, reviews episodes up to, to go up at least a few hours before but we'll see if that works out. Uh, one thing I do want to announce as well though is that um, hopefully as of this episode um, for those who subscribe to the show thank you very much I really appreciate it. Um, usually when I check the numbers for downloads you know within the next the 12 you know 18 hours after an episode goes live it's really gratifying to me to see the you know already having 30 or so downloads that shows that you know at least 30 people are subscribed in some way i really appreciate that you don't even know how much that means to me that people are actually subscribing and and it, you know this show is on their kind of their the things they want to listen to and they're, they're actually subscribing to it that is a huge compliment i really appreciate that anyways um once this episode has gone live and we got some of our uh, subscribers have gotten their episode, finally, Comic Shenanigans will be above 10,000 downloads. Woohoo! That being said, yes, we're on, what, 85 episodes now, so it's not that impressive because, uh, you know, that's a lot of episodes in order to get up to um, up to 10,000. But still, I'm really proud of it and very happy about it, and uh, I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, and thankfully, that means we are... Above the target of 100 episodes, like we were hope when I, months ago, Leon had asked me, uh, frequent co-host and, co- and guest, Leonardo Alana, he had asked me, you know, do you think you're going to get up to 10,000 downloads this year? I'm like, I don't know if that's possible, but it'd be nice, and and we were talking about how, do you think I'd get there before 100 episodes? I'm like, well, if I did, it means that I'd have an average of over 100 episodes per episode, which would be pretty awesome. Uh, and that is obviously the way it's gone, so I'm incredibly appreciative. That is so awesome to... Uh, to see um and thanks for people actually listening to the reviews episodes i've said in the past that it is kind of the uh, redheaded stepchild of comic shenanigans in some ways it's kind of the least interesting episodes in some ways it's just me talking as opposed to being me and you know a guest or two or three um it's just about comics it doesn't have the hero clicks that's usually our our best download episodes uh, it's not quite as exciting as some of our uh, some of our more like our regular uh, I guess you'd call them even episodes, which have been the non-reviews ones, are usually the ones that do a little bit better. Um, over a hundred views usually, usually with the reviews ones that struggle sometimes between fifty to eighty. Um, but I really enjoy doing the episodes as much as it can sometimes be a chore to get all the all the work done in terms of the pre-work and reading all the comics that are involved. Um, anyway, and hopefully, hopefully sometime in the near future I'll have a co-host or at least a guest, uh, appear on one of the reviews episodes with me. Uh, that would be a uh, frequent commenter on H.C. Realms, AJ, sorry, 
uh, Age of Butters or AJ. Um, I'm excited to have him on the show at some point in the future. Um, may not be for a couple weeks um, because I guess next week it's Father's Day. There's a lot of things going on on, the, on that on that uh, my usual day, which would be Sunday. Uh, but but we'll see. I, I'd like to get something going uh, soon. The week after that, I think I'm, I'm out of town at a wedding, which might make a, the episode go a little late. Uh, then in terms of what it's scheduled so well hopefully at some point uh before i change the way i do review these episodes i'll have the chance to sit down and uh over skype and, and have an episode with aj uh and i've said this before and i think the last reviews podcast but if there's anyone else who'd actually really like to guest on an episode um let me know and we can definitely work something out on skype i think that'd be a lot of fun um, again, usually it's just me talking to a microphone about all these comics, and there's usually a lot of comics to talk about. So it'd be really nice to have someone I could ping-pong ideas off of. I could even argue. Um, for those who've listened to the Book of the Month episode, which is, I believe, episode 84, uh, that was a, an episode where there was a lot of fighting. Uh, as I defended Red She-Hulk, volume one, trade paperback, and my three guests vehemently destroyed it. And just could not understand why I would ever like something like that, which I did. Uh, anyways, moving on, and before we actually jump into the, uh, this week's uh, actual comics, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping, upcoming episodes we have coming up, so obviously episode 86 is the Talkin' Hero Clicks episode, going up on June 12th, uh, June 19th we'll see episode 88, the Spotlight on the Man of Steel episode, which at this point in time will likely be myself, Nathan Struck, and Amber Struck, uh, small chance that my wife Kelly Chapman will be able to make it, but it's unlikely at this point. Um, and unfortunately, Tibor, our mate, who had been on our last two Spotlight episodes on movies, uh, in terms of Iron Man 3 and Star Trek in the Darkness, uh, he'll be unable to join us. He's actually going to be seeing the movie with us when we see it on Friday the 14th, but we were not able to record an episode till the 15th, so unfortunately he won't be able to make it on the podcast, because he'll be out of town at a wedding. Um, then we have, uh, episode 90 will be our Spotlight on Monsters, Inc., sorry, Monsters University episode, which will be myself and, uh, Kelly Chapman, and from there, I'm not really sure, uh, what's gonna happen for episodes, I guess, what, 92, 94, 96, um, still working on topics and ideas, one of them will probably be a Talking Heroic episode, episode 98 will be the Spotlight on the Wolverine, and episode 100 will be Comic Shenanigans, uh, either it'll be called Comic Shenanigans, Comic Shenanigans, or Spotlight on Comic Shenanigans. And uh, not really sure what that means yet, <laughs> even though I'm the one doing the podcast. I'm excited for what we're going to do for episode 100. Don't know what it's going to be, who's going to be here, who can make it, but hopefully it'll be a fun time. Uh, anyways, let's jump into this week's comics, why don't we? And everyone's like, oh, thank God, Adam, because you've blathered on for six and a half minutes already. Uh, so we've got Action Comics number 21. Um... I don't know how I feel about this. Um, on the one hand, I mean, I, it's kind of weird because it's taking place in the past. It's weird because the guy who was supposed to be writing it left. Um, it's weird because it just it sticks out. It's not bad. It's it's just kind of an odd placement. Um, so you got the plot by Andy Dickel. Uh, you have the artwork by Tony Daniel. This isn't the cleanest stuff from Tony Daniel, but I am enjoying it. Uh, he also scripted this as well. Um... It's kind of a throwaway, but at the same time, it is kind of fun. I don't get this doctor that he's that uh, Superman's really uh, kind of working with. Like she seems really far above the science we've seen in the rest of the New Fifty Two for the most part. Um, that being said, I did like seeing Luther and Superman actually fight it out, but it kind of felt weird and cursory. Um, 
and I did like seeing Superman get amped up as well. I don't know, just something about it just didn't quite feel right, and I couldn't quite uh, figure out what it was. But it is nice seeing... I don't know. This it, I haven't really been reading the main Superman book, so I can't really speak for a lot of things because I haven't really been following that book. So I, but that book, something about the art artwork on it is always kind of. I I'm not a huge fan of Rocket Fort. Um, I think I liked him more on Red Hood and the Outlaws than Superman. So his artwork kind of keeps me away from that book, and I can't really put a finger on why. Um, but this felt like a little bit more of a conventional, traditional uh, Superman kind of issue in terms of the artwork. Um, it wasn't bad. It wasn't the greatest thing I've ever read either. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Um, next up is Age of Ultron number 9. I cannot believe this is the second last issue because this has been a very uneven, uh, ha part, partly uninteresting, partly interesting, but not having enough time for the, you know, follow through, uh, kind of series. Uh, artwork here is by Brandon Peterson in the present and, um... I guess the artwork in the past is by uh, Carlos Pacheco, or Pacheco, uh, and it's written by Brian Michael Bendis. It's got some interesting parts, but sometimes things just took too long to to go on. Like you have this whole sequence in the few, where uh, well, after what happens when the the helicarriers go down in the last issue, and then this really long, drawn out, you know, Iron Man explaining. It just felt the the exposition was just painful because it's interesting, but at the same time, like get on with it. Like it's just he you have this dying Tony Stark basically trying to get Wolverine to realize how big of a mistake he's made and how time is a there. You know we're killing we're killing time because of all these rips in time. The artwork here is not that great. There's some shots of Wolverine's face which were just atrocious, and but then. Just when you think you've seen Atrocious artwork, you just flip the page and you get back to Pachico doing the artwork of Wolverine in the past, killing Pym, and it's incredibly uneven. You have some really good shots of Wolverine's face in some panels where he's grizzled and there's just so much detail, and then you have shots where like there's no detail in his face at all because they pull the camera up just a little bit more. It's incredibly uneven. Like at times you can see like this is the guy who did Avengers Forever. It was great, and then you're like, whoa, what is going on now? Now it just looks ridiculous. Um, some other things that don't make a lot of sense is why Wolverine decided to wear this his ridiculous old school costume here. Um, I don't know, there's a lot of inconsistencies. There's a whole like weird moment where Giant Man base or whatever he's called at this point in time, Goliath, just kind of sits down and watches the two Wolverines have a conversation. There's so much exposition, so much just talking, um, which just did not really work for me at all. Um, Oh, it just this issue just felt super drawn out, super long, and now and they advertise the next issue as being the epic conclusion. Are really the epic conclusion? Like Ultron hasn't really made. I guess technically his first real appearance is here in this book as a Ultron one. Um, it's just I don't know. There's just so so much wrong with this storyline, and there's so much potential too, and really cool ideas and concepts which were not in any way really followed up on or carried out or really used. Uh, it's really unfortunate. Um, but that's just the way sometimes Bendis writes. Uh, I gave it a six and a half. I mean, it's it's not horrible, but it's got some major issues. Uh, next up is All New X-Men number 12. I really like this. This was fun. Um, I guess it's, it's kind of cliche to just have, you know, oh, we've already had Cyclops kind of meet himself. Let's bring in you know, his uh, his brother from the f in the future, at, at this point he doesn't even know he's still alive, 
Um, and Havoc is all over the place because he also makes an appearance in in uh, Cable and X-Force in this issue. Uh, but this was really well handled. Um, it's interesting that in a lot of ways this book is moving extremely slowly uh, on the X-Men, but at the same time, I don't care. Uh, this is one of the few times where Bendis has captivated me. I'm really interested in seeing how this goes. The artwork's really good. Um, I, I, I love, uh, how he illustrates, uh, Scott Summers. Like, he looks like a younger, a much younger man. Like, and even seeing him next to Alex, like, you have fully grown men against really kind of not, well, not, not that old men at all. And it, it really makes a lot of sense. It's a great artistic choice. Um, Stuart Eminem is just knocking it out of the park here, uh, especially that opening kind of splash where it's the uh, where it says like you know all new X Men versus Uncanny Avengers. It looks freaking awesome. Um, it's just really good. There's some heartfelt moments here. There's again more of Jean Grey being like very out of control, which I really like as well. Um, more on what, what Mystique, Mastermind, and uh, Sabretooth are up to, which I like. Um, it's just really cool stuff, and and also the idea, just of uh, I'm just flipping through it as we speak, and I'm just seeing the uh, the shot of um, uh, havoc and Cyclops having an embrace, and also an interesting choice for like the glare. I don't know where the glare is. It almost looks like there's cameras on them, but it was actually kind of a nice way of highlighting the moment, and and I really liked it. But it was just an, an interesting artistic choice, but I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, so I, I really dug this. This was a lot of fun. I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. It's well-deserving. Uh, next up is Avengers number 13. Wow, this was fantastic. Um, I'm really digging this story. Uh, we got these 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 children that were in the last issue in the Savage Land. Uh, High Evolutionary kind of grabbed them. Uh, we have Terminus in this as well. Uh, he powers up the Terminus. Uh, I know that Tom probably loved this. Uh, frequent guest of the show... Uh, Tom Kerr probably loved this because he, as far as I know, he loves Terminus. I could be wrong, and if I am, I expect a text message shortly um, just to let me know how incredibly wrong I am. The artwork here is absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm really, I liked how High Evolutionary was used here. I loved uh, the how um, Hyperion was written here, which I thought it was just so awesome. Because this is a Hyperion, like, he's basically, like, we know the idea of Hyperion, but he's from a, a different world. Um, and just seeing how he's written and how he finds a new purpose is really fascinating. I still love his um, his camaraderie with Thor, which I think is really awesome. Um, Garrock being in here, this is the first time I haven't hated Garrock. Uh, I really dug this. This is just a lot of fun. And I like that uh, Iron Man is pretty summarily dispatched here. I thought that was incredibly funny. Because uh, he's not really there anymore. Like, he's just a telepresence unit, basically. So he gets shredded pretty easily, and I kind of dug that. Um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. And it was just really cool to see Hyperion really cutting loose. And, again, I really like him and Thor just chilling out, being friends. And uh, and the idea that they're, you know, that they're able to really find a friendship uh, between each other. I just This book has just been fantastic. It's so much fun to read. It's such a solidly put together book this is uh it, it's just it does so many different things like you tell these big stories and these really personal stories and you never know really what you're going to get when you go from issue to issue but you know you're going to probably going to get something that's pretty great and that is what you've gotten pretty much every issue and i'm just so enamored with this book this is everything i was hoping it would be by hickman 
uh, Hickman and Spencer, sorry, they co-wrote this this one. And the artwork by Diodato was fantastic. Although I wasn't a huge fan of the cover by uh, Lionel Francis Yu. It wasn't bad, but it lacked a little bit. I almost would have preferred a Diodato cover. Uh, next up, so I gave that a 9 out of 10. Next up is Avengers Arena number 10. The book I, I want to hate, but just can't. Uh, this is another one of those issues where I really wanted to hate it. Uh, is Dennis Hopeless uh, still writing it? Uh, the artwork is by a team I'd never heard of before. Um, I'm just trying to check who the actual uh, color... The artist is Ricardo Bertrielli. I've never heard of him before. I actually really dug his, his take on it. Um, you have... Um, now I forget her name. That, that evil chick that's got the brother. Uh, she basically is taking control of Death Locket and, uh, and Justin Sentinel... Uh, she's kind of going up against all the rest and trying to win this game. You have Nico Minoru really trying to do her best to fight fight against um, you know uh, the Force and protect everyone else and going up against Darkhawk, and uh, it's just incredibly gut wrenching, um, especially as she does everything she can to to not be alone. And then, and then it, she calls for help, or it looks like she does one last spell as she grabs her staff and then seemingly dies uh if this is how she goes first of all absolutely brutal the artwork is showing like her broken bones and like uh she's like missing part of her arm hideous uh that being said incredibly moving issue very strong and uh very sad to see um to see her potentially die now i'm sure she's not really dead but at least for right now she's dead and it's extremely upsetting uh, as a fan of Runaways back from when it was new, um, the, you know, I may not have really followed the book in a long time, but it's, it's moving, it's captivating, it's very upsetting, um, yeah, it, this got me, uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10, like, it really, it grabbed me by the cojones, uh, anyways, next up is Batwing number 21, not a huge fan, uh, I kind of like the debut more than this issue, um, I, mainly because I don't know what the hell this lion main character is supposed to be. I just thought it looked stupid. Uh, Palmiotti and Gray do an okay job in writing it, but the uh, let's see, Eduardo Pensica, the artwork is... I I just don't know what they're going for with this weird creature, this lion main character. I don't like the look of him. Um, it's kind of a weird issue, too, because you have the whole like front half of the, of the book is just this act, extended action sequence. Then you have Lucas going back... Gotham getting dumped by his, I guess, girlfriend. You have the lying main character uh, kill these people that were trying to, you know, kill him basically. Like they were trying, uh, he thought he was being rescued, but instead they were going to kill him, so he instead kills them. And then you basically have these weird, like, bug like, almost Ant Man like assassins approaching Lucas at the end of the issue and Batman warning him, like, to be careful. I don't know, it felt very uneven. Um,. I, not not that strong an issue. I, I, I think I'm still giving it a six and a half. Like it's not a bad issue. It's just there was a lot of problems with it, and you know, like you can't give a high rating if you don't find a lot of issues with something or do you think that there's a lot of problems with it. Um, next up is Cable and X Force number nine. Oh, speaking of a book with problems, this is awful. I just don't care. Like first of all, the artwork by Luwoka gets worse every issue. Um, and so this issue is not about Cable at all, but instead it's about his his daughter. Frank Thierry comes aboard the book to write it. I like Frank Thierry a lot. Um, when he wrote, uh, what was it, 
Like, he's written some of my favorite Wolverine stuff. Um, he wrote Weapon X, which was fantastic. He wrote, I think, Gotham Underground, which I also loved. And I, I wish I had that in trade. If anyone's listening to this, if you have Gotham Underground in trade, or you've seen it somewhere that's not like $800 or like 50 bucks, but like more reasonable, around the price of a regular trade, can you please let me know? Um, I will happily send you money to buy it and ship it to me. Um, because I want this in trade so bad. I have the singles, but I really want it in trade. I thought it was such a fantastic book. I should have bought the trade. I feel like the trade, there's got to be like five copies. Because, like, I don't think anyone bought it. And now it's out of print. And I just really wish I could get my hands on it. So if you have it, or you can ha- can get your hands on it, or you've seen it, I would really appreciate it. Now, granted, I know only maybe 50, 60 people are ever going to listen to this. But if you see Gotham Underground by Frank Thierry and Jim Calafiore, please let me know in trade. Because um, I really want to buy it from you. Or I want to, you know, and I, I'm looking for a fair price. I'm not looking for something crazy jacked up. Otherwise, I go on eBay and pay 50, 60 bucks. But I, I can't do that for an 8-issue series. But if you... Anyways, I'll, I digress. But anyways, if anyone can help me... I might as well take my own personal soapbox and this little bit of time I have to at least try and uh, try and get something from people. So thank you. Um, this this issue, I'm not a huge fan. You have Captain America, Rogue, and Havoc. I don't know why they're the ones who go hunting and seeing what happened with Cable Ship, but they're the ones who go uh, doing it. And then uh, they go after uh, Hope, who, first of all, is dropping a Star Wars reference, which is not in any way fitting with the character at all. She's... I, no one knows how to write her properly. Now, I love Frank Thierry, but he's not writing her properly. She's a battle-hardened woman who should be able to easily try and take these people out and get the hell out of there. Instead of playing the games that she does, like I, he's trying to show that she's prepared and uh, you know she she gets Mastermind's powers and uh, pr- um, uh, Purple Woman or whatever her name is, Lady Purple Man. I don't know what her name is. Even I'm, I have the issue in front of me. I'm not even checking it, but. I guess uh, Purple Woman, she's got this, you know, she's got these plans. Oh, sorry, Purple Girl. Um, but I just found that, first of all, the, the expressions in the artwork were atrocious. But these faces are ugly and, um, like, just ridiculous. Um, and the weird Red Skull Galactus was weird, too. Um, I just didn't care for the art, didn't care for the story. I, I get what Frank Thierry was going for here in terms of showing her as this woman who can take care of herself and she's going to help Cable no matter what, even if he doesn't want it. But it just did not work. Um, and it was a it was a mess. Uh, so I'm, I think I'm being a little bit charitable by even giving it a six. Uh, next up is Daredevil Dark Knights number one. Now, this is a new book. I thought originally it was supposed to be like kind of like an anthology, but I don't think it is. But I think it's just Lee Weeks telling us some Daredevil story. Um, I don't know where in continuity it's really supposed to take place, but it feels like it's before everyone knows who Daredevil is. Uh, you got Lee Weeks writing it and doing the art. I really enjoyed it. You got some sun. Sorry, you got some uh, snow. Um, you got a very real-life thing happening that uh, Matt, get, Matt Murdock gets beaten up pretty badly and he kind of forgets who he is, And but his senses are in overdrive. Uh, you also have... Uh, a snowstorm hit in New York. You have someone um, needing a heart who's being trans- transported in. Uh, you have Daredevil at the very end, like really kind of ending up in a bad place in terms of him not quite being right or being centered in, in terms of his mental state at this point. And uh, it affects him badly when he misses and goes 
he he does this jump and he he goes right down to the ground which really he should be dead but whatever um and the idea that at the end of the day uh Batman jack murdoch didn't raise no fighter and uh daredevil was fight i really like the artwork lee weeks is uh, a really underrated artist, especially over at Daredevil. Like, he's done some great stuff, but I feel like he's sometimes overshadowed by the other more recognizable names in uh, Daredevil's uh, litany of artists. Um, but I really like this book, and I gave it an 8, and I intend on buying all 8 issues of this miniseries. Uh, next up is Daredevil End of Days number 8. So now we're, we're, in, we're ending a miniseries. Um, I liked it. Overall, I, I think the series was very uneven. Um, the art wasn't even just, be, but not like kind of by design because there's so many different artists. Uh, but here we, we finally, because of the last episode, uh, last issue, we see that, uh, really it's, um, the son of, well, Matt, uh, not Matt Murdock, um, Ben York's adopted son who is the new Daredevil and, um, and just kind of finding out more about the idea of a sensei and that the idea that, uh, Daredevil had a daughter. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff and I really kind of like how that was approached and the idea of reincarnation of a stick being around um and kind of be in that this new version of daredevil is going to have his own sensei really cool stuff um i'm a big fan and uh i almost kind of wonder what would what's going what would happen after this and, and i like that the girl's name was mapon romanova uh and that everyone calls her stick but she doesn't know why um really cool style cool stuff I liked it uh, I, again it was an uneven miniseries for sure and the artwork is incredibly uneven but by the end I really dug the idea that Daredevil was grooming a replacement and he he wasn't the sensei he was preparing the next generation uh, I'm a little surprised that he would do that to um, Yurik's adopted son but it was an interesting way of kind of making the Daredevil legacy continue uh, and I like the idea that his daughter is blind and basically acting as the new stick um so it, it it does bring up a lot of questions but at the same time i would love to see a continuation of this in some way that being said my there is still a critique and a, a commentary i would like to make that for a book called daredevil end of days daredevil died at the beginning like the, we never got to really be in daredevil's head it, it did make for a different style of book, and it definitely reinforced the idea that Ben Yurik has been a very important part of the of the Daredevil mythos ever since the Frank Miller days, um, and a little bit earlier, I think, or right around. Because um, I think, what was it, in a Frank Miller illustrated issue where uh, Yurik found out? But technically, he wasn't writing the book at the time, so it's kind of here or there. Um, but yeah, no, this was, it, it was entertaining. It was a good ending. I give it an 8. Next up is Detective Comics 21 incredibly inconsistent uh the artwork was really not to my taste and it was there were times i didn't even realize it was harper where i was looking at um i did like that there was a little bit so scott Eden, sorry scott Eden did the art not his best work john layman wrote it not his best work uh it, however that being said we get a i guess our first little glimpse of rajal ghoul in the new 52 because i don't think we've ever really seen him before um there were some really good shots of batman but there's also some shots that just did not work at all um, there's some, there's a few shots, like the first shot we see of Harper Row. honestly I thought she was a dude. She does not look like a girl, she does not look like the Harper Row we've seen elsewhere. Um, I do like that we have this crazy assassin, uh, and Batman having to kind of rescue Harper Row and also stop the assassin, and it turns out to be the woman he was spent time with in the Zero Issue, and then, 
that she died but was reincarnated basically interesting stuff but uh, I don't know just wasn't quite enough and one thing I did like that there was a lot of callbacks or references to other things going on in the Bat Mythos but overall it was inconsistent um, this all being said I really like the backup with uh, Man Bat absolutely loving it um, the artwork is fantastic it's some really great stuff by Andy Clark and John Lehman really did a good job writing it. So that I'm really digging more than the main, the main book. The main book, I'm really not as big a fan here. Um, but at least we got that backup because it's a sweet backup. I give it a 6.5 out of 10 overall. Part of that's because they had the really good backup. If it wasn't for that, it probably would have been lower rating. Uh, next up is uh, Earth 2 number 13. I gave this a 7. And it would have been higher if not for the artwork. Uh, the artwork I didn't really enjoy. Um, but it's by Yilda Ray Sinar, and it's written by James Robinson. Um, it had its moments where it was really good, but it also had some moments where... Actually, you know what? I take that back. I think, um, I said the wrong thing. Um, I wrote down 7 out of 10 because of the artwork. And I'm looking at it now, and I'm thinking, you know what? I think that's partially... I think it was almost better illustrated than it was written. Um... You know what? I'm wrong. I, now that I'm looking at it, the first half of the issue is really well illustrated. The back half, not as much so. But this and this, but the story is interesting, and I like the idea of showing this new Batman. And I like seeing Steel. I think you know, disregard half of this shit I just said. I think this is a seven out of ten. Uh, fairly interesting. Not as strong as some of the previous issues, but still quite good. Um, and the idea of the Red Lantern at the end. Who? It's a girl. Who's the Red Lantern? I don't know what that means. I'm excited to. See what it means. It's unfortunate, though, that James Robinson is off the book with, what, 16, issue number 16? Um, because he was just really good on this book. This was his wheelhouse. And now that he's been taken off of it, I think that's a... Or not... He's, he's not been taken off, but now that he's left, whoever... Why ever that might have happened, or however that may have gone down, it's really unfortunate. And he will be missed. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Green Lantern 21. I gave this a 6 out of 10. Not a big fan. I wasn't sure if I was going to even bother reading. Um, after having read this, I'm still not sure if I'm really digging it or or even going to stick around that long. Uh, you start the issue with seeing uh, Hal and a bunch of the other lanterns trying to power up as much as possible and uh, get to the central power battery as there's, they're facing this this foe. And then they get, when they finally get to the central power battery, it's dead. And then you walk, you rewind time a little. I don't think Billy Tan's the right artist for this book. I'm going to say it right there. It's not bad artwork. I just don't think it's right. Um, and then you have uh, Robert Venditti writing it. I don't really know anything about Venditti in terms of his prior work, so I can't speak much about it. I'm not a huge fan of how he basically takes apart Hal and Carol here, especially with how Jeff Johns left it. I just, I don't know. I just found that was very anticlimactic. That once again to kind of pull them apart a little. Uh, and having these new Guardians already saying, oh, we're going to take off for a bit. Uh, we're going to talk to Kyle, and then we're going to take off for a bit. But uh, you're the new lo- uh, leader of the core, Hal Jordan. I just felt that was really fast. And um, I don't know. I, I, what was the point of bringing in the new Guardians if you're almost immediately going to shove them out of the book and make Hal the leader of the core? Um, I don't know. I, I, I found myself really disinterested. Uh, and then... Having um, Hal impetuously decide, no, we're going to add everyone to the core now. We're going to send out all these rings. And then you have Larflees show up for no reason. 
and um, and then you have like a weird issue with the with the rings, and which is obviously a precursor to the idea that something's wrong with the power battery. I didn't care. The only interesting part that I thought was cool was that last page where you have like basically what looks like four teenagers show up re- reporting for training to be Green Lanterns, and they're all like, you know, we want to go home. And that part was cool. That part was interesting. I'm excited to see where that goes, but otherwise, I didn't really care for the rest of it. And then you have that last page where it's supposed to be, you know, uh, the future of the Green Lantern is heating up. Enjoy an early look at the thrills to come this year. They're trying to do what Jeff Johns used to do in all his books. He did it in a, in a way that made you feel like you were seeing shots of a movie trailer. This just felt like a movie poster that was very generic and uninteresting, and I don't care. Um, so I gave it a 6 out of 10. I, got, I read it, and I didn't care for it. Uh, next up, after Green Lantern, we've got Iron Man 11. I'm going to give this a 6 as well. I was originally going to give it a 6.5, but it's more of a 6. I just don't like... I like revisionist history at times. Not when it takes... I don't know. Iron Man feels less interesting to me when they make it be like something that he's always kind of destined to be this way. Uh, It's part of what made Ultimate Iron Man not as interesting in some ways. And this very reminiscent of that. Why can't he just be a smart guy who had an injury and then had to, you know, invent something to save his life and then turn it around and become a superhero because of it. Why can't we just have that? Why do we have to have this secret origin of Iron Man or Tony Stark that I'm just, I'm just not a fan of? Uh, Kieran Gillen wrote this. Artworks by Dale Eaglesham. I do like the covers because they're kind of weird and creepy, but other than that, like, I like Dale Eaglesham's artwork a lot. I just found the story uninteresting. Um, and they just push things a little too far. That's all. And I'm I'm done with this recorder storyline as well. It's just it's not strong enough. Although it did remind me, I recently was reading Hands of the Mandarin uh, trade paperback from the '90s. Which, if you really want to re- read a really well written, really good Mandarin story, stay away from it because it's not well written. It's just it's a nostalgic favorite of mine. And it, there was a re- I forgot that there was a recorder hanging around with um, Forceworks back in the day. So it's not like. Iron Man hasn't spent time around a recorder unit before. I just don't care. And I don't like it being tied into his origin in any way. I gave it a 6. Next up is Red She-Hulk 66. Uh, I'm still liking this book. uh, Regardless of what other people might think. Again, listen to episode 84. Where we talked about uh, the first volume of the trade paperback. Uh, This is written by Jeff Parker. You got a lot of artists on this book. Um... I'm just trying to look and find the actual list of all the artists because I was looking at the cover and that's not really giving me all the information I want. Um, I, I'm i digging this. I'm enjoying it. Um, you have this idea here where you have like parallel realities uh, because of uh, the proximity to Man-Thing. So you have Red She-Hulk start to live a different life. Um, a lot of, Again, a lot of different artists at play here as you have... Uh, Pagalan, Pat O'Leaf, uh, Bennett, um, really interesting takes. Uh, I love O'Leaf's artwork. It's very classy, very classic stuff. Uh, there's, I like Pagalan. I missed Olives here, but I'm enjoying this quite a bit. Uh, and I'm loving the colors again on on Machine Man. They look fantastic. Uh, again, seeing this weird alternate history of what would have happened if it was uh, Betty Ross who saved Betty uh, Bruce Banner. Uh, from becoming the Hulk, and then she became the Hulk instead, and just seeing what their lives be like, and how she eventually kind of gets normalized instead of just being a rampaging Hulk, and then ends up as an Avenger, makes out with Thor. Like it's got some interesting but weird stuff in here. 
Um, I do quite enjoy it. And at the very end, you have uh, Ishlan showing up, and they're trying to uh, take in uh, uh, Red She-Hulk, who is also now back together with Jen as well. Um, I dug this. It was fun. It was a fun romp, and this is, this arc has been. And I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. Uh, we're winding down. We've got about five more books left. We got Superior Spider-Man number eleven. Uh, again, I'm really liking this book. It's really interesting. Um, much better than I think it could have been at one point. Um, we're setting up for something really cool here. We got Slav and Gage co-writing, and you have uh, Giuseppe Camincoli on artwork. Um, again. I do like, now that this is purely Otto's book, I think there's a lot more uh, potential for... Um, for the, there's a certain freshness uh, here. So you have J. Jonah Jameson's ready for... Uh, you know They're finally going to execute the Spider Slayer at the raft. He wants Spider-Man to be there because he trusts him to be there. Um, you're, you have a glimpse at how you know Vulture is blind now. You have um, Boomerang almost dead. You have... Uh, Scorpion's jaw was clean, you know, knocked off. You have these three guys are recuperating. Again, you have a lot of... There's a little bit of a retread here because you have Doc Ock again saying, you know, I'm the superior Spider-Man and I will be free. Yeah, you know, you don't need to talk about this, but I get it. Uh, I like the idea that Spider-Man's, you know, again, he's kind of like Batman here. He's got a friend in the mayor's office. He's both the mayor himself. He's able to do kind of whatever he wants. He's able to bring in his own you know, uh, technology to uh, make sure that everything goes smoothly with the execution. Really cool. And then you also have uh, some really human moments where uh, Otto confronts the fact that like he almost died here, and it wasn't that long ago where he should have been dead. Um, and it was really cool. And then just seeing him there as they're about to kill uh, the Spider Slayer is quite fascinating. Uh, I like the idea that you have these the uh, Spider Bots to take on the Mini Slayers, and uh, just this the idea of having this really cool battle between uh, Spider-Man and uh, Smythe. And the idea that Spider-Man is so smart that he's come up with every way possible to stop Smythe from escaping. However, maybe there's one more idea, uh, which is that um, the Spider-Slayers are basically being able to uh, get piped into the, the villains I mentioned earlier. And amp them up so that they can see again, so that they can move again. And that they can uh, basically be amped up by uh, Smythe to take on Spider-Man. I'm excited for this event, this little mini-event, this storyline. Uh, I think it's got a lot of potential. It's a really cool idea. Uh, seeing you know Spider-Man trapped on the raft with these characters. Um, I'm really digging it. I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. It was just a really solid read. Uh, next up is Thanos Rising number 3. I liked it a little bit more than the last... Well, I mean, the first issue I hated. So, I mean... It's st- it's still not quite what I want. <laughs> I don't know what this is trying to be, but you have Jason Aaron writing it with Sim- Simone Bianchi on artwork. Um, here you have Thanos is a little bit older, starting to become the Thanos we know. Um, but there, again, there's a lot of weird stuff here because he's, he who wants love, um, and you have these weird a lot of weird like aliens, you know, after sex scenes where he's lying in bed having just bedded some weird alien chick and he keeps having children everywhere, but then he doesn't seem to care. I'm surprised he even sticks around during the pregnancy stage because I mean, I don't know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And then he takes off and he joins with these pirates and he's able to help these pirates, you know, get the booty that they want, but he refuses to kill, and then he fights uh 
he fights the, the guy and then he ends up becoming the captain and at some point he goes back to Titan and finally finds uh, the woman he wanted the most again and the idea that uh, you know it looks like she's got to be death and the idea that uh, you know he wants to be love and it's all he's ever wanted and he's got to kill more people to make that happen I don't know I just I hate I get that a uh, huge part of Thanos is his love of death and wanting to appease death but it just the way they write him as a younger man and being like I just want to be loved um, fuck off. Like, I'm just not digging this at all. It's one thing to show that he wants the love of, of death, and it's a singular pursuit for the, her love. But, as a, but that's a little bit different than just saying, you know, I want to be loved. Um, like, I'm just not digging this. Uh, Jason Aaron's better than this, uh, and Bianchi's artwork is at times really good, but sometimes you just have Thanos lying there post-quotus, sorry, post-coitus, just lying there with his, you know, weird shape, you know, body. Like, there, it's at, at times, there's not even definition given. He just looks like a slab of meat. Um, I, I'm just not digging this book at all. Um, it's Again, it's a little bit better than it has been, but not not better enough. Um, I think I may have said I was going to give it a 7. It's still a 6. What am I, what am I thinking? Uh, I just don't vehemently hate it, but I mean, it's still not that great. Uh, next up is Thunderbolts number 10, since we're talking about books that aren't good. Um, the artwork's better uh, than it has been, but then that's because it used to be by Steve Dillon, who gave everyone weird lips, and at least now it's by Phil Noto, who at least is a better artist, and Daniel Way is still writing it into the ground. Um, I still I don't like the idea of this weird Electra's brother. Um, I do kind of like what's going on with Flash Thompson here, but ah, ah, this book is just a mess, and I, there's some nice little touches, like Venom and... Um, Deadpool teaming up is kind of interesting, as is having um, a Blind Al show up. But other than that, like this is just a mess. And I and there's some artwork here where there's supposed to be a lot of motion and there's a lot of a lot of moving around and jumping around. And yet that motion is so horribly carried out. And there's no fluidity of the panels at all. This is just a train wreck. Uh, I can't wait for it to be canceled. I, I'm surprised I made it the episode. Sorry, episode issue ten. It's not a good book. Just get this garbage off the shelves. And, or maybe put together a good Thunderbolts book that actually deserves to be around. I haven't been reading Dark Avengers, so I can't speak to it, but I feel like that book must have been better than the shitstorm that we're getting in Thunderbolts. Um, next up is Winter Soldier number 19. I, as I said in the past, I wasn't really hot on the first issue or two that um, Latour did, but uh, I've really loved where this book has gone since. Um... It's a shame that it's the last issue. It didn't even make one arc without uh, Brubaker, which is upsetting. Uh, Nick Klein did the artwork. Again, it was written by uh, Latour. I really dug how this was done. Um, you have the idea that there's uh, yeah, there's something that looks like it's a cosmic cube, but it's not a cosmic cube. It's something else. Something else completely. And uh, I really liked how that was kind of portrayed. And having it having all this power in the what was it called the Terrasova Tesseract um, you get to see all these things that could have been you see a lot of going through time it's really messed up at times but really kind of cool and I, I like that it brought it back down to the idea of a cosmic cube 
because obviously that was a huge turning point in the first uh, Winter Soldier storyline was um, back in Captain America was when Captain America and Bucky are fighting over the Cosmic Cube and and uh, Bucky loses control of it and Steve picks it up and says, you know, remember who you are. And that's all he wanted. And then you have this that, that tragic moment where suddenly, um, you know, Winter Soldier got all his memories back. Well, here you have a moment where he touches the cube and then everything kind of goes to hell and he's able to get back down to Earth. You have a little bit of the uh, the denouement. You find out more about the the guy the guy he was kind of hunting to begin with, uh, and um, but that's not really what is important. What's really important is he's able to touch this this tesseract and go back in time and just spend a moment, just have a moment with Natasha, and then just closing the book on that one shot of him touching the uh, tesseract and just saying, you know, I just needed a moment. As you see, what's really going on here. Um, really heartbreaking, and I hope that someone uses Winter Soldier at some point, but uses him well. Um, but at least he's in the Marvel Universe, and people can use him. I do think that people are... I really miss him being Captain America. Obviously, it only worked as long as Steve wasn't around, but I do miss him be, not being around and kind of holding the shield, but uh, hopefully at some point he's got picked up and used well by another creator. I really dug how this book ended. I gave it an 8 out of 10. And last but not least is X-Factor number 257. It's the the end of X-Factor part 1 of 6 as uh, Peter David gets to bring it all to a close. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's been on this book for a long time. It must be very bittersweet that, he, that it's over now, or it's ending at least. Uh, artwork here is by Neil Edwards and Carmen Carnero with Peter David on, uh, on script and writing it. Um... It was alright. It wasn't the greatest story, just because it was a little scattershot. You have the idea that after the end of the Hell and Earth War, uh, Madrox kind of disappeared. Um, and this kid tries to use him to uh, create a portal to go get his mom. Um, Layla Miller knows that there was a there was a timeline where they both went together and then nothing really happened and it became just kind of a sideshow. Um, but he that was before in a reality where Madrox didn't turn into a demon, it, now he is a demon, uh, so things go differently, a portal actually does get created, uh, it's actually kind of horrific though, because like this boy just wants to be with his mother, so Jamie drags the mother out of this hell dimension, the, the mother picks up her son, uh, his skin flays away, and then he ends up like just nothing, and then tries to fight and go up against Layla, and Madrox is able to send them back into uh, the dimension, and they leave together. And hopefully at some point in the next five issues, he becomes Madrox again, which I'm sure will happen. Um, I thought we would have had more resolution to the Madrox as a demon thing happen in this issue. It didn't happen. I'm a little surprised, but, you know, it was good. I gave it a 7 out of 10. It wasn't the strongest issue. It wasn't the best illustrated. It wasn't the best uh, story I've ever read, but it was still a very solid outing, and uh, I dug that. Um, so I still gave it a 7. So, that is our episode. So, thanks again for joining me. Uh, there's a bunch of things I didn't get a chance to read for various different reasons. Um, that, those include Astro City number 1, Dial H number 13, East of West number 3, which I had been reading the first two issues. I just did not have time for this one. Ferris uh, 16, Fearless Defenders number 5, Green Arrow 21, Kick-Ass 3 number 1, Movement two number 2, Stormwatch number 21, Swamp Thing number 21. Now, I have read previous issues i started reading the first four or five pages i was not into it and i said you know what i don't have time to read everything 
and I'm just not digging this, so I'm going to have to maybe leave this for another time. Uh, Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, number 9, and Ultimate Comics, Ultimus, number 25, which is still, I contend, one of the dumbest titles for a book ever. So, that is uh, our show. You can uh, email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can uh, post in the HD Realms um, thread. Um, and, uh, yeah. And stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Heroclix, which will come up uh, within the next day. So thank you for uh, joining me for yet another episode. Thank you for getting us up and above the 10,000 download mark. And, uh, yeah, thank you for listening to Comic Shenanigans. It is very much appreciated. I am Adam Chapman, and I'm signing off. I'll 